Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, well, well. Welcome back. It's your girl, Taryn Finley. And it's your boy, Shaquille Ramblay. Our man, Jahan, is unfortunately out this week, but... When the power of three won't set you free, the power of two just might have to do. Uh-uh. We're going to do more than do. We're going to do more than do. We're going to hold it down, Jahan. We know you taking your, your um, week's leave, sitting up there resting in your fedora. <laughs> I hope he's good. I wonder what he's up to right now. I'm child, really he probably, curious. Child, he probably biking around Harlem, even though it's 23 degrees. Oh. And this year is winding down, but COVID isn't, and Trump is still fired up. But unfortunately, he is not ready to go with the clown shit. Fired and fired up. <laughs> but he won't go. And he's still talking about a stolen election. The Supreme Court justices this week. You know, the funny thing about this story is Trump nominated three of them, right? So the conservatives right now have the court. So he submitted to kind of overturn the election results in Pennsylvania, but everybody said denied. <laughs> it's just like, how desperate can you be at this point? It's it, not only, not only, you know, did you get elected out, but you are flailing. It's embarrassing. Like I have secondhand embarrassment for homie, like just bow out gracefully. But of course, He's not going to do that because we know who really showed up and showed out and and had the greatest impact on the election. It is the black voters. It is, you know, the Latinx voters. It's all the folks who he has been trying to disenfranchise this entire time. And so now, even though you've done every you've been the best president for the black community since Lincoln and all this other, all these other fallacies you're telling me. Lies, lies. Now, now that now that it's not working in your favor, or it never actually did work in your favor. <laughs> now what's up? I guess our votes just don't count, huh? You know, our votes don't count. And the crazy thing about it is, I'm hoping that you know maybe Ivanka is a little smarter than Donald Trump. Maybe Eric, but clearly not because they're all going along with this argument. <laughs> did. I really thought that one of them had a little bit more sense. Because at this point, they've done counted the votes in Georgia about three times. At one point, they counted each and every vote by hand. Listen, I want everybody to understand, like, we're laughing about this, but it also is very much, like, it's serious. They are absolutely trying to make sure that, especially as we get closer to a democracy that is overwhelmingly, you know, people of color, you know, and, and white folks become, you know, the minority, they want to make sure that our votes don't count. And it's like, nah, dude, we're not going to do that. Speaking of, let me tell you what happened. I told y'all about my absentee ballot that came yes. in, yes. um, or that didn't come in. And I had to call and request <laughs> another one. Child, why did it just come in this week? 
for the November 3rd election. Like you said, I'm laughing about this, but this isn't funny because this is indicative of what's happening yeah. to so many voters around the country. Yeah, it's absurd. It's absurd. It's absurd. But you know what? Georgia, the Georgia Senate runoff is um, is coming up and, you know, folks need to show up and show out for the upcoming January 5th contest. And that's going to determine whether the two Republican incumbents keep their seats or if the Democratic challengers both win and the Democrats will gain control of the Senate if that is the case. So we definitely need you, Georgia girls. Come on, come on, come on, Georgia hot girls and hot boys. Let's my get head this. hurts at the thought of gridlock. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a very real possibility. It's an extremely real, real possibility. But speaking of gridlock, Trump is trying to gridlock a lot of people who have futures or hopes of coming to the United States and eventually becoming citizens. This is a really, really big deal for me because my mother right now is in the process of studying to take her citizenship test. But thank God she filed to take the test way before Trump could change shit because he has just made the test a lot, lot, lot harder. So in the past, individuals would have to answer 10 questions and answer six out of 10 correctly. He has now made it 20 questions and you have to answer 12 out of 20 correctly. And you know what's wild about this? Like American born, like people who are Americans born in this country don't even know the answers no. to a lot of these no. questions. Have you ever like taken the previous or seen the previous citizenship yes. test? He don't even it's know the answer. <laughs> and that's the thing about it. I'm sure he does not even know the answers to all these damn questions. And the thing about it, the test is very, very racist in my opinion, because yeah. a lot of the answers require a certain verbiage and they require mm -hmm. you to answer the questions in a very particular way. And if you do not answer the questions in a particular way, your answer is not counted. I'll give you a very, very clear example of that. So the previous answer when somebody would ask who do U.S. senators represent was all people of the state. Now it's citizens of their state. And that's the only acceptable answer. Mm. So if you have issues learning English, if you do not know English at the moment, or if you're not the strongest English speaker, this test is extremely hard and it, it's going to bar people. I think this is wow, especially since, you know, most Americans only have like a fourth grade reading um, level capability anyway. And like, that's no shade at all. But I do think like these, th like this kind of verbiage, like you said, like can literally trip up someone who, you know, whose uh, English is their first language. Yeah. So to do that, especially from folks coming from, you know, non-English speaking countries, mm -hmm. like, like you said, it is a, a, a blatant form of bigotry and it speaks to what y'all's, y'all's ex-president had already said before about, you know, quote unquote, shithole countries about like all of these other things that he says about like countries where black and brown people come from. It's really wild. Like I'm, I'm ready to like go get my uh, Ghanaian citizenship. I know they accepting black Americans over there. <laughs> but and the, the beautiful thing about this is one of the things that Biden can do is on his first 100 days of office is he can get rid of this test and continue with the test that we previously used or the test that they're currently using to get people to become citizens of the United States. Yank. <laughs> what are you hoping to see Biden do in his first 100 days? Cancel student loan debt. <laughs> like, for real, that, is, that shit is crippling 
so many people. And like, of course, there are so many other things on that high priority list that, you know, needs to be done, especially in that first hundred days. But I do think like we are in a pandemic. You need to do that. We we, we need another stimulus check. Like there yes. are people like the fact that we've been in this pandemic for what has it been 10 months uh, going on a year and mm-hmm. we've only gotten, um, you know, $1,200 in assistance is uh, child like people are unemployed out here but Mm -hmm. anyway speaking of like getting rid of shit that shouldn't have been there in the first place um so brianna's law was just signed um in virginia uh governor uh ralph northam signed brianna's law which is a measure that will ban police from using no-knock search warrants this it, it shouldn't have been a thing in the first place in the first place exactly. no knock sh- search warrants of course like we are all familiar with the story um and this warrant is a tool that the um Kentucky police used to take Brianna's life and i i really hate that we've gotten to this place where we have this very like late reactionary um legislation that happens at the expense of a black life like this isn't the first time that you know something like this has happened and when we talk about defund the police when we talk about police reform when we talk about these things we aren't just thinking about like the lives lost but also like what do we need to do to make sure that we prevent you know, further damage. And like that needs to happen in a proactive way rather than a reactionary way. And, you know, I I thought about that as I saw, because I know right now Time Magazine is in the process of seeing who's going to be the most influential person of the year. Is it Biden? Is it Trump? Or is it George Floyd? And as I saw the name George Floyd, I'm like, wow, George Floyd, you know, launched an international conversation and an international movement. But how many more George Floyds do we need? How many more martyrs do we need? And do these people even want to be martyrs, right? Because I'm assigning martyrship to them because of the fact that they died and because of their deaths, now we're having these conversations. But is that what they wanted? I'm sure not. You know what I mean? Uh, so, they had lives. Like, exactly. Like, Brianna, Brianna Taylor was training to become an EMT. Yeah. Like, she was so young. That woman was 26 years old when she was taken down. I... I I really hate that we've gotten to this point where like, yes, we should be commemorating their lives. And Mm -hmm. yes, that we, we, we should be making sure that they are remembered and that, you know, they see justice. However, real justice looks like them still being here here. and carrying Mm -hmm. out their lives and living their dreams and being recognized and seen as whole humans we don't have that period like as living like me you Shaquille like we go outside like we're not seen as that that could happen to to us at any point that could happen to our families and that is what they continue to not see continue to purposely overlook when we're talking about you know these kind of reforms and these things we don't want martyrship we want justice we want to live We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, the Black Girl Magic that is Zerlina Maxwell comes and talks to us about the identity of politics. And that's that. Stay with us.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's guest is truly a phenomenal woman. She not only hosts a self-titled TV show on NBC's Peacock streaming service, but she is also a serious XM radio host, political analyst, commentator, speaker, and writer. And Time Magazine recently named her book The End of White Politics as one of the 100 must-reads for 2020. Let's please welcome Zerlina Maxwell to the mic. Hello, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about your book, The End of White Politics. Can you define what white identity politics is? Describe this framework. Well, what I see it as is something that is more noticeable in the the era of Donald Trump, because I think one of the things that he did really effectively is he ran on white identity in the 2016 election. So a lot of people after the 2016 election were talking negatively about the idea of identity politics, where you're really uh, prioritizing you know, people's lived experiences and their different backgrounds and allowing that to inform uh, policymaking, but also um, allowing people access to power, which is really where the um, the whole like the whole area um, is really about how to to get and build political power. But in the context of this current American moment, it felt it felt like I needed to say to people, hey, Donald Trump ran on identity politics too. White is an identity, and he effectively exploited that in order to, you know, play to certain certain types of voters. Frankly, um, he did that even more so in 2020. But I think in 2016, you know, Americans were a little bit naive about the fact that you know he was playing to white identity and with explicitly racist messaging. So what I I think about white identity is sort of this idea that it's the default. It's like what a regular American is. We use mm-hmm. all of these euf- euphemisms um, when we really mean white people, suburban women, yeah. uh, working class, uh, Midwestern voters. Midwestern. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that what, we, what was needed after the 2016 election was like a real honest conversation about how America is actually changing and the demographics are shifting away from a majority white electorate to a majority um, where people are of backgrounds that are non-white and that will make for a different country. I don't know if it will make for a more progressive country, but my hope is if I could speak to specifically the progressive left and say, hey, this is happening. Republicans already realize that. That's why they're trying to you know, suppress vote- votes of color. That's why they're trying to pack power in the courts. They understand that their voters are not the voters that are growing in numbers. And so that's why they're trying to consolidate their power in different ways. And we need to get, you know, the message on our side, um, on the Democratic side is who I'm speaking to, um, in terms of how how he's exploiting white identity politics to his advantage and how we can use identity politics to our advantage um, because we have a diverse coalition potentially 
um, of voters of all backgrounds. I'm so happy you bring that up because like you said, um, the white population is becoming the minority of the electorate. And what we consistently see in American politics is a swing from Democrat candidate winning to Republican candidate winning. Now the Democratic leaders and the Democratic rising stars that I follow are the progressives, AOC, Jamal Bowman. What is the future of American politics now that the electorate is changing and it won't be majority white? Well, I think it's going to look like the AOCs and the Jamal Bowmans of the world. Like the future looks like the squad. And the, and the voters that elect that, those, that future look like the squad. Um, so, 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 I feel, so I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, the discomfort that some people feel, you know, with some of the more progressive positions or with, you know, even their attitudes, because they are very bold, they are very outspoken, but they need to be, um, you know, and that's what makes them powerful. And I think that there are going to be more leaders like them, not fewer. Um, and, and I think that the, the Joe Biden generation you know, there's a reason why Joe Biden sort of calls himself a transitional figure to the future, because he understands that, you know, the, the consolidated the consolidation of white male power. Um, we're, we're attempting to begin to dismantle that attempting. Obviously, it's very entrenched and it's not like you can elect a bunch of AOCs and it's done overnight. There's a lot of work that has to be done. But I think but 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 I do think, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about representation and whether or not, you know, Kamala Harris being the first black woman to be vice president, first woman to be vice president, you know, is that, is that even matter? Because representation is not enough to just have a woman or it's not enough to just have a black person. I'm like, but it is something to have a woman and it is something to have a black woman. And it, and we didn't have that before. And yet now you're like, oh, well, it's not that big a deal. No, it is a big deal. That's why we haven't done it 200 years. And <laughs> the reason why is because you haven't had that perspective of somebody who's lived in the body of a black woman go into a room where they're the vice president. And that's going to make a difference whether or not she's doing everything I agree with her or not, you know, that I agree with or not. That's not really the point. The point is, is that the perspective has not been reflected within the rooms where the major decisions are made. And that needs to happen at, in every industry, not just politics, but that's where, you know, politics is what my jam. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 2021, even though there's still a lot of uncertainty about where we'll be, there does feel like there's a lot of hope in that year. But what do you think needs to be done, especially in the first 100 days, to begin to undo some of the damage left within this last administration, especially with an active pandemic? Well, the first thing is, I mean, obviously, he's going to do a mass mandate for the first 100 days. Um, That's going to be important just because we haven't had any leadership at all on the federal level in terms of what to do. And really like, it does matter that the president wears a mask and encourages others. Um, and then additionally, I think, you know, the, on the policy level, we need stimulus. I don't know what the Congress people are doing. Like, what are they doing? Where are they? They, they came back from Thanksgiving and I hadn't heard anything about mm. what they are doing. And so, you know, uh, I feel like we have to hold these these elected officials accountable for the fact that they work for us. Mm-hmm. And in this pandemic, it's not just that you work for us, um, you know, to get tax policy. They need to get us a vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's going to require a lot of work, a lot of legwork, a lot of planning and working together. When Joe Biden is sworn in and, and we're able to at least exhale, <laughs> you know, because it's, <laughs> Because because perhaps the attempted coup wasn't successful, 
um, you know, then then we can we can actually get started on on a list of things um, that need to be addressed because it's not like we don't know what the problems are. I think the pandemic has revealed what the problems are. Um, not just the fact that women are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. Not just that women of color are disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, but black and brown people are dying in higher numbers for myriad reasons. It needs funding and actual infrastructure in local communities. Start there and then build out. <laughs> because it feels to me like there's just so much work to do. And mm-hmm. we we don't have a lot of time, but at least now there's a light at the end of their dark tunnel and that's the vaccine. But we actually have to get through the darkest part of the tunnel first. Something that I like that you consistently talk about is representation. And you talked about it even in this conversation we're having right now. And you also mentioned the prominence of white male power and how far we've come having Barack Obama as our first Black president. And now we have Kamala as the first Black vice president or vice president of color. However, there's so many other roles in the political space that people of color have not been able to enter at all. So... What is the political construct that exists for people who are making decisions for others and their needs when they can't really relate to those communities? Well, I think one of the things the 2016 election did is allow people to see themselves in a position of power. So my thing is, is like, if you are not satisfied with your local elected leaders, then you need to ask yourself if you would do a better job and maybe you should go try. Because if Donald Trump could be the president of the United States, And obviously he wasn't a good president of the United States, but he was the president of the United States. And so, you know, any of us could be more confident than that. I could be a better president of the United States than Donald Trump. So (laughs) what does that mean? If I'm seeing an issue in my local community um, that needs to be addressed, maybe I'm the best person to do that. And you saw droves of women and women of color, in particular, younger women, Um, But women of all backgrounds, you know, trying to figure out how to run in their local communities. And that's why you're seeing so history making levels of women in those positions of elected office now, because they chose to run basically after seeing Donald Trump win. And they were like, really? So so and, and I think that, you know, in order to get to a point where we're actually representative of, you know, the diverse country that we actually live in, more of us might have to step up. And, and run ourselves too. On the topic of representation, but shifting gears a bit to your field, Zerlene, you've been so unapologetically Black throughout your career in a field that often tries to devalue and diminish that. Um, lack of diversity is obviously um, an obvious one, but what obstacles do you find that you're still fighting to overcome in the political media space? Well, I think in every industry, when you are not sort of the majority in terms of representation, there are always going to be obstacles. But what I try to do really, and this is just honest, I really just try to stay true to who I am and not in the cliche way. Like I try to be honest. I try, you know, to be transparent. I try to advocate for other people who may have a little less power, but look like me. I try to be grateful to the people who have helped me get to even this point. Um, and then like, I'm just really trying not to turn into a monster (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, I sometimes meet a celebrity and, and sort of TV, you know, it can, it can lack that like realness that, um, Mm -hmm. and so what I try to do is, and I think that comes through on my show too. I think both of my shows, like I just sort of, am honest 
about what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing, what I'm processing in my brain. And I think that that resonates with people. And in this industry, I find that if you, if you are presenting a fraud, right, that's probably seems harder. So I think one of the ways in which I, I think I'm successful and I continue to be is that I'm actually like what you see is actually my personality. It's actually who I am. Um, and I'm not presenting like something different than I would say, you know, in private. I, I, I absolutely am just sort of like being honest because the, the moment sort of requires that post 2016, I sort of in my own brain, I don't know if it was like a conscious thought or a subconscious thought, but I literally was like, well, I have to just say the truth. Like what's really happening? Because this is so scary and dangerous that like, if you don't say the truth about how scary and dangerous and racist this moment is, um, then I, I don't know that I could forgive myself, but also like, I'm not doing my job. I'm not being true to who I am. Um, and my mom didn't raise me that way. So I know that's right. <laughs> Shout out to mamas. Shout out to mamas. I've definitely seen that with you and following your career. And there are definitely, uh, I remember, um, I, I remember this one shift that happened when you began to wear your natural curls on TV. And I was like, yeah. Oh shit! What products does she use? Like this is, this is <laughs> like this is amazing. Um, especially you know, especially you know, as a fellow journalist who like that's usually how I wear my hair. So like that kind of representation, you know, spoke to me. Did any special thought or intention go into that decision in like you know wearing your natural uh, curls on television, like? Or did you just want to try a new style out? What what was that like? Well, it was the timing of it was kind of cool because I it was when I was turning thirty four. I realized I didn't see my hair since I was ten, like actually my real curl pattern, and I was like, "That's crazy." Um, maybe I'll like it. How do I know? I wouldn't know. I, I've never seen. I I really have not seen it. So that was that was a piece of it. Was was wanting to just really to see it. Um, and then if I didn't like it, I mean, there is no judgment. Like if you are a braids, weave, anything I am for, it's your head, you know, I, whatever, I feel like whatever makes people feel good about themselves or what they should be doing with them, with their hair or with their, whatever their bodies are all of it. Right. But for me, I think it was a moment where I was like, Oh, I see myself, mm. for the, you know, and, and I, my eye color almost changed cause my hair is darker than the weave I would put it. You know what I mean? So so in a lot of ways, like even I looked a little different and I was like, oh, I like this. And it, and it was during the campaign in 2016. So I wasn't even on air at this point. I wasn't, um, you know, really just in HQ. Um, the scariest moment probably was like the first day I went back and I was like, with, you know, with the predominantly white colleagues, um, afraid somebody was going to touch it or say something, you know, that would make me feel some kind of way. But nobody did that. Everybody, no, no one said anything. Actually, like one, one of my friends uh, and my boss on the campaign, like she smiled when I walked in the room, and and she was like, it was like an acknowledgement of like that was amazing. But then, didn't <laughs> you know, and 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 in a lot of ways, that was that was the best because you know that little like I don't know fear you feel that you you won't be accepted um, or whatever. I probably was going on in the back of my mind that I wouldn't say out loud. Um, you know, it was diffused by the smile. And then I went along my day and then I learned how to style it. Cause that's all, that's a whole learning curve. Like I didn't really know how to fluff it in the beginning. I I've watched a million videos to like, try to figure out how to like get it in the shape you want. Ooh, and girl. yeah, <laughs> I remember that. It's a lot, right. It's mm -hmm. a whole education, but I, but I find that like, you know, it's one of the, my obsessions now, because 
it's my, you know, it's me and I can, I can sort of invest uh, that time in figuring out, you know, my hair and that's sort of, and then you can pay it forward and tell other people, which is fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Your curls stay popping like all the they time. Are pop in. They, they are popping. They are popping. For, for me though, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, once I ended the campaign and then I was on air, like I'd been on air during the campaign towards the end, the debates and, and obviously election night, um, leading into election night. So I had been on with my natural hair. Once I went back to MSNBC, I was a little nervous that my, my manager would be like, you have to go back to the weave to do cable cause whatever. But she never, I have a black woman, uh, manager. Um, oh, and wow. so she, uh, she just said no such thing. Um, because well, one, she, she liked it. Cause like I, I filed it. Um, and two, she's, she could see that it made me feel more confident in a lot of ways. Like I do feel more confident this way than I did the other way, because this is just actually how I look and it's amazing. So it's like, yeah, it looks good. You know, so you're like, it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, so for, for going back on air though, it wasn't, it wasn't even a question. I mean, I, I want to be, I want to be, represent natural haired black women in this space. So now it is intentional. <laughs> now I fluff it as big as it goes. And I want, and I want people to, to, to show their daughters. And I want people to, you know, um, and, you know, show the photos to their daughter, have their daughter watch the news and be like, that's like my hair, because I didn't have that. And so I know how much that means to little kids to see that. Um, and I mean, even women of all ages, really, but I think that because I didn't have that representation, I want to be that. And that's a really cool thing about having natural hair and being able to proudly wear it. You know, it's important because I feel like the journalists, there's always this mold that journalists are square and that we can't bring ourselves to work and that we're not colorful. And I think it's so important for us to continue to show off our style, our different hairstyles. They try to to put us in the shadow (laughs) of the myth of objectivity, you know, not just with our work, but also with, you know, how we bring ourselves to work. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that. So we're going into 2021 and speaking of the work, what work do you feel like needs to be done immediately? And what predictions do you have for us? I feel like you're like a political forecaster. (laughs) With my my book, you might, you might think that only because like some of these states were flipping way before I thought they would. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen between, you know, now and the time we're able to have enough people vaccinated that, you know, we can, return to some some normalcy but i do know that there's gonna need to be a stimulus well before that so that's my only prediction is that i don't know if they're going to be able to do it before we have a new administration but i hope that that's the first priority i also know that we need to uh pass hr1 which is the bill about voting rights and voter suppression um and just expanding access because you don't have a voice if you don't have a vote in a lot of ways. The only way any of these problems are going to get fixed is if we elect different people. But I think, you know, I think Joe Biden is, he's definitely putting people in his place that are experienced in a particular way. They're not going to go in and dismantle systems. They're there to sort of put it back together and try to figure out the damage that Trump has done and all of that. But I'm hopeful that he'll put some change makers in intentional positions like you know somebody who's going to 
take the bucket of criminal justice reform, somebody who's going to take the bucket of pay equity and ensuring that people who are deeply impacted by this pandemic, mostly women, mostly women of color. Some people think that because everything's breaking, this is the moment we have to do big radical change. I mean, I just even been debating that amongst, you know, my co-host and other friends the past couple of weeks, because I'm not sure we have, you know, sort of the political will in the pandemic, but I think it's a good question. And it's, he has a lot of work to do. As we know, the 2020 election was the Super Bowl, but there's other elections to come. Yeah. How do we win back black voters, especially black and brown voters who may or who may have voted for Trump? Oh, the ones who voted for Trump? I, I mean, look, everything is really about being honest. Why did some of the messaging that Donald Trump was using work on some men of color and, and you know, a small... A, little bit of a bigger percentage of women of color than in 2016. Although I'm still, I don't know, the numbers are like, what they exactly are, I'm not sure. The Black people who voted for Trump, despite the racism, the xenophobia, the sexism, misogyny, and oh yeah, herd immunity without a vaccine. I, I just, I don't know if there's a message that could get through the, that kind of person. I gotta be honest. But here's what I do know. A third of the country voted for uh, Donald Trump. A third of the country voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. A little bit more than a third, right? 80 million to like 70 or so million. But then there's like kind of a third that didn't vote. And in the pandemic, I kind of want to know why. My co-host, Jess McIntosh, always says, I need to know a lot more about that other third. What is the reason they did not participate in this election? This one. They weren't busy, but they need to be engaged. You got to go where they are and you need to talk directly to them. You can't do a television advertisement or go to one church service and think that you've spoken to Black people. Sorlina, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. We appreciate it. This is an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Shakia. I'm here. You know what time it is. What time is it? It's time to wrap it up. So, I love it. unfortunately, we're starting this week's wrap with some um, really tragic news. Rest in peace to Natalie DeSalle Reed. She's known for her roles in Cinderella, the only Cinderella that we acknowledge, the Black Cinderella. Brandy. Whitney. Yes. Um, of course, the classic Baps alongside Halle Berry, um, Eve. And so many other things. I was just watching uh, Medea's uh, Big Happy Family last night. Like, Natalie DeSalle Reed was such an icon. And I remember first seeing her on Cinderella as a little girl. And, you know, at first you see the cartoon Cinderella is like, oh, them, them stepsisters, like, uh-uh, them bitches, I can't fuck with them. <laughs> but she made me, like, she made me almost root for, like, the stepsisters, I'm like, damn, like, but she was so goofy and vibrant and amazing. And then, of course, you go on to see her in BAPS, and it's like, she truly is a Black American princess. Did you have, like, a favorite Natalie DeSalle read uh, memory, Shaquille? I would say EVE. Like, mm-hmm. that. I love that show. I think that sitcom was so iconic. And I think that a lot of times these actresses and actors who starred in shows on UPN do not get their roses. I hope that she mm-hmm. get the roses that she deserves because she mm-hmm. is a Black that is iconic. 
Yeah, like truly. And and the thing that I loved um, uh, most about her and one thing that um, I wrote about in my ode to her on um, HuffPost.com this week was the fact that she truly epitomized what like black womanhood like truly was not not the shit that you know we just see uh in hollywood this very cookie cutter kind mm-hmm. of way of existing but like she she didn't allow herself to be typecast she she was just so in- infectious and the fact that like she she died after her battle with colon cancer at the age of 53 just really like y'all colon cancer is is no taking joke. us like colon mm-hmm. cancer is taking black people left and right we've seen that this year we've seen that in years prior like go get screened please go get screened especially if you have a history of it in your family taryn there's no way to transition into this but you and i are gonna spar but two sagittarius always spar well i don't think we're gonna spar to be honest <laughs> oh, oh, okay okay okay, okay. so we we have this iconic versus battle that is finally finally coming Ashanti versus Keisha Cole. Mm-hmm. Who do you got? Mm-hmm. Tell me who you got. Who do you have in this battle and tell me why? So I truly believed last week that it was Ashanti, but me too. but high key after like just sitting, revisiting both of their discographies, yeah, I believe that it's going to be neck and neck. So it's kind of similar in the, I, I still don't think that like, this is like the perfect matchup. However, I'm going to get my life in my living room on Saturday <laughs> when I'm sitting down, you know, with, with, with my Mary J. Blige wine, <laughs> enjoying this. And get your, get your thigh high boots. You know, I think it's going to be neck and neck, Shaquille. Like, I'm I'm really torn because you have, on the Keisha side, you have that good classic hood love music. And then on the Shanti side, you got that, like, that soft kind of demure, like, I want to be like those girls in the movies to have a man so in love and make him drop to his knees. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna just sit there and I'm gonna enjoy the ride. To be honest, I I think I agree with you with that. I thought we were gonna spar because I had the same exact thing. At first, I was like Ashanti got it. Ashanti got mm-hmm. it good because Ashanti got them Billboard hits. But Keisha Cole make music for the streets. That don't music sleep. that you listen, play your cards right. New Keisha, you you complete me. I should have cheated, sent from heaven, all of that. The hair dripping in the video, the dye coming out. Sent from heaven. So music that you feel. I choose you, all of that, all of that. So Ashanti, I mean, and Keisha Cole wins on the vocal level too. You know, Keisha is a better singer. So Ashanti, get your boots and your coat. I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm going to plead the fifth. I mean, but it's not going to be a sweep. It's not going to be a sweep. Like, let's let's be real. My girl Ashanti, I had, you know, her first three albums um, on hard copy as a child. Like, like, Ashanti was it for me when I was a child. Just because, like, I loved Keisha, but I also didn't know what hood love was because I was a child. (laughs) So, of course, like, baby, baby, you foolish unfoolish you know happy like those are things that like caught my ear and my heart in different ways but as a grown-ass woman of course i'm like leaning more to like keisha cole i don't want you because i got it like it's that gotta i like don't that. even gotta be like that exactly <laughs> it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a really good show but the the streets want to know should ashanti play j the j-lo hits the song she wrote for j-lo 
And you know, that would have been, that, yeah, I would play it and shade her. That's exactly what I would do and sing it over too. Do a little dance, a little two step, a little shimmy, a little something. <laughs> Period. Um, a little birdie told me that you have a new Twitter obsession. I definitely, definitely do. You know, every black mama love that song. I know I'll never find a love like this again. Dion Warwick, I love her, I love her, I love her, I love her. Yes. But Auntie Dion, you know, she, she, she's, she's meeting us where we're at. She's coming on Twitter. She said her wonderful niece told her about Twitter. And I can't get enough of it. Auntie Dion is turning down people's... People have told Auntie, we want you to buy us a PlayStation 5. Auntie's like, no, no, no. Auntie is sparring with Wendy Williams. She's calling out the weekend, the whole nine. And you know why? She could do that because she's Dion motherfucking Warwick. So she can do all of that. I just think, like, her timeline, her her tweets have been such <laughs> a um, wonderful disruption from my chaotic timeline because it's so auntie, especially um, I believe, when was this? I think this was like Thanksgiving week when I like kind of saw her tweet and I'm like, okay, when the hell did Dion Wilbur do Twitter? <laughs> but because I wasn't able to go home and travel with my family, I got that dose of auntie through Dion Warwick's um, Twitter feed. And one thing that I love is she's selling um, apparel and, and merch <laughs> with 1-800-HUSSY on it. And I'm like, if hussy ain't an old black woman like insult, I like like, damn it, Dion, I, I I love you. Please come on the show. Please come on the show. And I want you to personally call me a hussy. One of my life goals is to get Dion Warwick to call me a hussy, hussy. But I don't want it, like, on, on, on wax or anything. Like, I want her to say it to my face. Or, or like even to my Zoom face. Hussy. Is that weird? <laughs> I just, I just really love it. I really love it. I stand Dion. Oh my God. And all you need in this life sometimes is two piece and a biscuit. But. <laughs> but from where? But from where? Can we specify from where? Um, I get mine from Popeye still. You know? That's where I get yeah, mine. Yeah, you know. That's I, where I get mine. But you know who tried it? You know who tried it? Child, KFC. First off, I ain't ate KFC since he gave me food poisoning um, oh my, my senior God, year of high school. Food poisoning. But, but child, that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about this little um, lifetime special that they aired. This holiday mini movie titled "A Recipe for the Seduction," starring starring Mario Lopez as a sexy quote unquote Colonel Sanders. Child, what the hell is that? What what is that about? Have you seen Are you the trailer? Watch? Are you gonna watch? You know what. <laughs> and there's an Uber special too, an Uber Eats special, believe. It's an Uber Eats special. <laughs> yes, there's a Does promotion. Does it come with a promo code? I believe there's a promo code, but they're offering a special promotion, six free extra crispy tenders with the purchase of $20 or more. Honestly, y'all playing in my face. This is a troll. This is a troll. Like, both y'all can go somewhere between KFC and Uber Eats. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of this, on this very night... What I'm going to do is go to Postmates and order Popeyes, okay? Since y'all want to troll me, I'm going to troll y'all. KFC has been trolling people. Do you remember that one point they came out with some type of scented bath bombs? Get on. And I'm like, who the hell want their house to smell like KFC? Get and who the on. hell want their boo to smell like KFC? And who the hell want their man to smell like KFC? Oh my God. Also, this reminds me, Oprah still owes us a chicken meal from KFC. <laughs> When um, she promised all of America, um, like when they had the grilled chicken breast uh, meal, 
they debuted it and Oprah said everybody in America get a chicken sandwich or a chicken meal on me. I never got mine. So another reason. No, mm-mm. I'm going to tune in, but on bootleg. KFC just keep playing. They just keep playing with us. I'll be watching. Playing in my and face. I might, I might just, I'll order it to see how the special comes. I want to see You report back. Report yeah, I'll back. let you know. <laughs> and that's that. And that's that for this week. Thanks again to our guest, Zolina Maxwell. Our show is produced and edited by Izzy Down on my luck. Yeah, yeah. Back, Back against, against the wind. <laughs> Beth, Nick Offenberg, Sarah Patterson, and Becca D. Gregorio. I'm Taryn Finley. You can find me at underscore tearing it up everywhere. And I'm Shakira Romblay, and you can follow me at Romblay everywhere. Jahan will be back next week, and we have a really special episode for y'all. So make sure you tune in. Sookie, sookie now. Until then, let me hold it down for Jahan. Go ahead. Keep it juicy. (laughs) Did I sound like him? A A plus for effort. Okay, okay. I'll take an A plus. You got to hold it down for yourself, too. Sing a song. I was going to ask you to hold it down for me. Oh, you want me? I got you. Hold it down for me. I'm not as good as you, but I tried. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.